0: It's that time again We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of the to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the, the hive, hive Jive. jive. Yay! Good to go. <laughs> how are
1: you? I am good. How are you?
0: Doing good. Just kind of one foot in front of the other.
1: Hanging in there. That's yeah. how, that's how we, it's all we can do at this point. It's, it's that's like, right. it's early to say this, but it's basically the dog days of summer.
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It's already hot, 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 especially yeah. in Texas. Yeah. Interesting that you're feeling it as well where you are.
1: Yeah. And it hasn't even really, like I said, it's not even summer yet. Technically, I think yeah. per the calendar, it will be summer by the time this airs, but that's just calendar date wise. Summer heat wise, mid July, August, those are the worst, and we're in the yeah. beginning of June. <laughs> like <laughs> this
0: feels like, uh, yeah, this feels like August weather. Honestly, yeah. I mean, and it's yeah, I think summer starts at the summer solstice, which is the twenty first.
1: I think June twenty first, right? Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we're we're recording this technically on Monday the twentieth, and it airs on the twenty second, so it'll be. Yeah. Right before over. and after that little, that little time period. Um, so in regards to the time of the year, um, this episode, by the way, forewarning has no point,
0: <laughs> no <There's>, central theme. <laughs> that's right. There's no,
1: there's no common thread, um, other than bees, but, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of jump back and forth here. So updates first off on the hives is the, when I went out and checked the top bar last time, I did find two of the big black carpenter ants on the top of the corrugated metal, Mm -hmm. but I can't guarantee you they didn't just fall out of the tree because I Mm -hmm. didn't see them. They weren't in the hive. I didn't see them crawling up and down the legs of the hive stand. And I did see one, only one, stuck to the little sticky strips that I wrapped around there from the fly tape. So Mm -hmm. I flicked those off and went in and did a check. They are now up to five bars and they're growing. At a decent pace. So I think everything in there is going to be good. And the queen had moved out of the Langstroth frames and the nuke box and is now on the comb inside the top bar. She's on the brand okay. new white comb. Okay. Um, I got in today, literally today, the Tanglefoot spray. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go ahead and spray the legs with that just as added because I don't want anything else getting up there and causing any hey, issues.
0: Look- yeah. I didn't know they did a spray. I only knew about it. Yeah. Them. They got like, like the, got tub the tub with a
1: paintbrush kind of thing.
0: And they have like the plumber's little yeah. thing with the sticky foamy on the stick kind of so that you can apply it.
1: Yeah. They've got a spray version now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try that because I figured that was less messy. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> than probably. been <laughs> dipping it in the thing and it oozing out and sticking oh, everywhere. Tub-
0: I, I haven't tried the one that the plumber style one. I have it, but I, I only tried the tub one and I was like, I'm done with this.
1: <laughs> right. That's, that's why I looked at my options and I was like, spray can it is. <laughs> <laughs> um so I've got that. And then on the Langstroth, they did phenomenal. So I put them down there. They were they were a five-frame nuke in an eight-frame box. So they mm-hmm. had three frames of not theirs one of them I gave them open dry comb so that they could go through and and immediately Work expand her. the brood nest into that cook comb. Yeah. The other two were just blank foundation. And mm-hmm. then I gave them another box, a medium with full eight frames on it that were old foundationless frames that I had cut out to do like cut comb so they mm-hmm. have about an inch of comb guide across the top of the frame but then nothing through the rest of it. So I put that up there, put a feeder on there and gave them their sugar syrup when I first got them. Went back out there and checked them. It was about 10 days later, they'd drawn everything out.
0: Oh, you got a good, uh, you probably don't need feeding.
1: No, in fact, Mm -hmm. like I fed this. Well, they did, they took it all and made wax out of it, which was great. And then they also filled all of that wax up with liquid. (laughs) So, yeah. So I'm like, oh, crap. Well, if there is still a nectar flow going on, which remember when I did the first initial check, they already had brought in some liquid and I didn't know where it had come from because I hadn't given Mm -hmm. them the sugar just at that point. So I wanted to, well, okay. So this was the one that I dropped. Remember that
0: whole story?
1: Yes. So when I put them in the box, I left them in the box for four days and then went back down and checked on them because I needed to know, was the queen there? Did she get squished? Were they making any emergency cells, anything like that? And she was still present and everything was good. Agreed. That's when I went ahead and added the extra box and gave the food because then I knew which direction we were going. So, um, But they have moved up into the top box. They drew all of the comb out on the top box. They drew out their extra two deep frames that were in the bottom box and they had liquid everywhere. She still has a little bit of a brood nest that was open that she was working through at the moment. Um, part of it was on one of the newer frames that they had just drawn out in the deep box as well. So, but my thought though was like, oh, well, um, if there is still a nectar flow, because at that point we were still getting rain, now we're not. Like it just quit, (laughs) it just was gone. Uh, We went from raining multiple times a week to not a drop. And Mm -hmm. so my thought was, I might, and I don't know if it's going to be necessary, but I might get a queen excluder, put it above that medium that I put on there and Mm -hmm. give them one of my boxes that has the, the, permacomb it's, plastic it's cells. The, the plastic cells that are already drawn out so that they have a place to store liquid outside of the rest of the colony and not feed them anymore but with us now moving into what supposedly around here is eventually going to be a dearth just like down there for you guys i didn't really know if it was even going to be needed because i was just thinking if they brought anything else in i don't i don't want them to pack it down there i want them to have extra options but the queen excluder is required because with those permanent drawn plastic cells you don't want the queen ever laying in there because you will never get it cleaned out so that's the thought but i may not honestly do anything the queen excluders don't come in until tomorrow so we shall see but ultimately they're both doing great they're both expanding drawing out lots of wax so so, you're happy. no longer
0: feeding them for a while, right?
1: Nope, I stopped. Um, definitely yeah. on the Langstroth, I was like, okay, but I had a top feeder for them, so they got more initially than the top yeah. bar did anyway. The top bar just got one of the mason the jar, jars, the yeah, jar. yeah. Yep. yeah. So, they got one of those, and then they got a second one. Um, they got one the day that I installed them, and then they got another one that when I went back out and checked and saw they had moved on to the top bar part,
0: yeah. So, That's they've what had we two, give. yeah. We give uh, no more than a, a quart, maybe two a week because um, we don't want the nectar to go back in the b- bird's nest and backfilling. Yeah. We've seen a lot of our customers actually kill their colonies by feeding too much yeah. and too often. They backfill right? so, all the
1: cells. Queen can't can't lay, they can't expand, colony shrinks. And
0: pff, and, and we, I mean, in our practice, we only recommend it as an emergency kind of a thing, unless you're doing something specific like what you're doing, but we, we tell them it's better to not feed only if they're, looking like they're starving and you, you're you trying to help them along through the dearth, or you're doing something specific, which in, in the grand scheme of things, uh, something specific should be done in a, a nectar flow anyway, whether it's splitting or queen rearing or, you know, things like that. And, and so in theory, the, any feeding should be very minimal is what we tell our customers.
1: Yeah. It should not be a long, long-term ongoing thing mm-hmm. for sure. So those are my updates. Um, I do have, I have a a listener question slash story that came in, and this is yeah. based off of our episode about the ticking time bomb with uh-huh. the ticks. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna delve back into a ticky situation here, um, or as as list. the listener put it. A sticky, but tick was emphasized in parentheses. <laughs> S, parentheses, T-I-C-K, parentheses, Why? Right. <laughs> sticky. Yes, we're
0: getting into a ticky
1: situation. We're getting into a ticky situation. So this is from Phil, and Phil is one of our patrons here on Patreon. Hey, Phil. And uh, he said that uh, perhaps this could be one of our listener questions for us. And he said that, I'll, I'll go through and read this whole part here for you. Um this will definitely give you the creepy crawlies, though, I promise, yeah. which is not a good thing. <laughs> so, after having completed my first year of beekeeping and overwinning my, overwintering my girls, I had heard much feedback from my extended family and friends for their desire for honey, for honey from me. It would help if I read properly. I realized the demand will... Outpace my one hive, and so I enlisted my sister-in-law to help me, and we obtained two more colonies to meet the eventual demand. I think this sort of logic is also how addicts justify their habits. <laughs> truth be told, and yes, yes, it is. <laughs> we're familiar with the problem? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's a sticker. It's a sticky. <laughs> I was going to say it's a slippery slope. <laughs> <It>
0: definitely yes <is. laughs> And we're up to three hundred. We're managing right now. So
1: yeah. Oh, good lord! Wow. I'm happy with my two (laughs) shape, some zeros off there. So he goes on to say that he didn't really have reasonable space in his yard. So he does have in-laws though, that have a farm with lots of space and they decided to set up their new boxes out there at the farm. That way they're out of the way, but they've got the area and the forage and stuff that they need on the day that we showed up with my nukes to be installed. And as we unloaded the gear, I had set my bee suit down and continued to unload. When we got the smoker lit and ready to start our procedure to install the girls, we noted that there were black things crawling all over my suit.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: We then realized in horror that my suit and the boxes that we had set up out there to put the bees in were both infested with ticks. Okay. Yuck! (laughs) Right. So, torched them. <laughs> we we decided that these were dog ticks specifically and we went about the process of dispatching them, which a hive tool is apparently great for this task. We had eliminated at least 50 of them or so when we finally stopped counting and decided that our prime spot was no longer quite so prime. Mm-hmm. So we moved the hives out of that area in a hurry and set them up in a new area. We got them installed And they're doing well. However, we still have ticks out there. And apparently they like to hang out underneath the lip of the hive lids. So each time we open the boxes, we have to be on tick alert. I've made sure to cut the grass around the colonies and install them on top of rubber mats to begin with. But the ticks still seem to come and hang out there. Are there any type of treatments for ticks in areas that will not harm the bees? I would like to apply those if possible before my father-in-law gets fed up and decides that the parasites needs treated his own way, <laughs> which will possibly be much harder, harsher than what I was intending on for my girls and possibly more than they could withstand. As a final note, finding ticks through a triple weave layer of a bee suit is pretty challenging and does require a good pair of bifocals. <laughs> thanks for reading and thanks for any advice you might have, Phil.
0: <laughs> That's, nasty that's creepy
1: so the only type of tick situations around here that we have that remind me of that are what they call seed ticks and seed ticks are small little black ticks and they congregate in massive groups and when you go through they get all over you and and you can see them in mass like crawling up they're, they're very unnerving. So that's kind of what that reminds me of. And if, if what he found is truly dog ticks, then that's kind of a little bit of a separate story. That is a larger tick, kind of a larger Brown tick, but the thought that you put empty boxes out there and you have it all set up and you lay your suit down and you pick your suit up and it's covered in ticks. And then you realize your empty boxes are covered in ticks. (laughs) So you move to another location and you still have ticks that are getting up underneath the lip edge of the lid, waiting for something to come by so they can latch onto it. Like, that is creepy. And I have never in my own experience found ticks on my hive ever. <laughs> so that's kind of, it's like, it's a very, ugh, it's, it's not a cool thing to think of, for sure.
0: It, it's almost like a horror movie. It is a horror movie. (laughs) Because, I mean, I'm driving back from the yard, and I'm feeling something itchy, and you can barely feel it. And you're doing this, and you get a tick in your fingers, and I'm losing my mind. One. (laughs) Right. So I can't imagine all those.
1: Yeah, no, me, me either. And he's already started to implement some of the things that we talked about in our ticking time bomb episode, keeping the grass cut very short. They even put down rubber mats underneath the colonies right. so that there wouldn't be any vegetation and open dirt there. But yet the mm-hmm. ticks are still going to the boxes. So it's, it's I don't know, that's crazy.
0: Cool. Okay, so does it have branches over the hives? Because you remember you told me where you're at, they can actually fall from the trees.
1: They can fall from the trees, that's true. So
0: there's that. And then I was reading, uh, there's other barriers, mechanical barriers like the uh, di- DE, diatomaceous earth. So if you put it under the legs and that so that it's um, protected from the rain in little cans or something, and, and they can't cross that mechanical barrier, maybe that will help as well, right?
1: That's a good point. I mentioned, so we went through all of the steps that we went through in the episode, which was the the mowing everything down. Mm-hmm. If there's any wood piles that are in contact yeah. with the ground, those should be cleared off and moved. If there's any thick layers of leaves or piles of leaves where it can stay constantly moist and damp, those need to be removed. And rock walls and piles of rocks can also be breeding grounds for him. Nice little dark cavities for them to be in. So we went through all of those steps. Then we talked about all of the bad things like that could potentially be done. So there is a treatment for ticks. I want to say it's called a tick stick and it's designed to put inside rock walls in through the crevices but it is a poison and it will go through and it probably will kill more than just the ticks themselves.
0: Well, do you control all the ticks in your area with that local treatment? Is that really worth it?
1: Right. Right. Well, and the other thing that we talked about pros and cons say, say the father-in-law finally did get fed up and wanted to treat something. If it was going to have to be done, it would need to be a granular type treatment that goes directly on the ground, doesn't get on any of the flowers. But the downside with that is, most of those treatments have to be watered in. Lots of times out in the middle of a field, that's not an option. You can't put it down and hope for the rain to water it in because if it rains too much, it could wash it into water supplies and things that you don't want it to get in. And even though your honeybees are technically not on the ground and not ground dwelling, you've now endangered all of the native bees and a whole bunch of other right. beneficial insects from that aspect. So that's not a good thing either. But exactly your diatomaceous earth that's a good idea. You can put it down. You can put it on the ground, but if it rains, it will mess that up. You can put mm-hmm. it down underneath the hives, but much like we do with oil in like the defiant stand, you to could put dishes okay. underneath there that have the diatomaceous earth covered so that they don't get washed out, but made to where something has to crawl through it before it can get to the actual legs of the stand. Right. So that goes back to even a defiant stand where you put the oil in the legs, or if you grease the legs, or if you do what you and I were talking about before we started recording the tangle foot, any of those types of things will prevent insects from being able to crawl up the hive stand.
0: Yeah and, they, all mechanical barriers. yeah. and
1: if they can't get up the hive stand, they can't get onto your hive. Now, another scenario, which it's not great. We don't like to do it, but especially if there's that many of them out there for your own protection and benefit, you probably should treat your suit at least from the knees down, if not the waist down in your boots for your
0: own, for your, for your own
1: safety. Your,
0: yes. your own safety. Well, um, actually, you know what, um, uh, less and I use is a uh, sulfur powder. You can get out of the, um, um, garden store and you put some in a sock, an old sock, and you kind of tap it around your shoes and the bottom of your suit. You don't want to overdo it, right? Cause it will get uh, on your skin and, and it's just kind of, it's not toxic, but I think it dries out your skin badly. If you just overdo it. And it might discolor, like he had his um, wedding ring that was um, getting discolored. Yeah. So there's that, but then the, uh, red also organic neem oil is a good spray that's disruptive to the feeding behavior of a lot of insects, but it's non-toxic to honeybees and probably not to um, a lot of the native bees. Not that you would have a whole lot around a hive uh, necessarily, So, but I've heard that works well as well.
1: One of the other things that you can do that is a natural quote-unquote oil is cedarside. And Mm. see, it's, it's, it's not the cedar oil you would use to put in a soap. It is the cedar oil they actually use in canine tick repellents for the natural alternatives. And you can spray your boots and your pants with the cedar Mm. oil, and it will actually not only repel things from you, but if they get on it, it will kill them, but it's not going to harm the honeybees because you're not going to have them necessarily in direct contact. contact and it. It messes with a different type of receptor inside their body chemistry But I will caution, regardless if you're using an actual bug repellent spray, something with DEET or without DEET, or if you're using natural oils and chemicals, you have now upped your pheromone fragrance level. And your bees are probably going to respond in kind, so you may be protected from ticks, but your bees may have a bad attitude about it.
0: (laughs) That's right. And you know, grand scheme of things, oils that come in contact with your skin is an interaction that can be uh, up to a certain level toxic to your liver as well. So you want to be careful with that. But Les did talk about side to side, cedar side. Cedar side. I don't
1: remember. Yeah, cedar cedar side.
0: Cedar side, And he uh, mentioned that a couple of chat with the Michael B.K. Perus ago, uh, because he was switching from that sulfur powder to that cedar side. He says that's another option that you can use.
1: Yeah. And, and with all of those types of things, if you like, again, you don't want it to come into contact with your skin and things like that, you put it on your actual boots or your shoes right. and you put it on your suit before you put your suit on. So you can spray right. it in advance while you're getting prepped and stuff away from the hives, because again, strong odors can rile them up, so you don't want to necessarily do that, but that is an option if you, if you make sure you yourself are protected, because as we discussed, ticks have a lot of nasty, icky diseases, and it's just creepy okay. thinking about hundreds of them crawling on your suit. That's not cool. Oh, it's um,
0: just broken. It's a <laughs> so. violation of your private space. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Literally.
0: Because <laughs> that's
1: where you'll find them later. Um, <laughs> in your private spaces. <laughs> okay. Now that you're beet red. <laughs> Can you tell my earphone fell out i laughed so hard okay so protect yourself number one number two do some of the types of things even the mechanical things that we discussed putting some sort of physical barrier so that they cannot crawl up onto the hive if they can't get up there that means the ants aren't getting up there other little crawly critters are not going to get up there it's not going to prevent flying insects like hive beetles Mm -hmm. but it will prevent the other stuff So you're actually doing your hive a service, you're making it safer for you, you're preventing them from being up there on it, and then you've got yourself protected where you're standing on the ground or possibly walking through the grass to get out there. Those are really the only solutions outside of those bad things we don't want to talk about using the actual pesticides and chemicals to kill them and get rid of them so
0: which would also negatively impact your bees so right. i think that phil right phil did the yeah. right thing he uh put he took them from that spot that apparently was not good to another one that was less infested and he's using those mats and he's just kind of uh he he did the first steps uh exactly the way he should do them so that's really good
1: yeah and and we definitely um don't envy <laughs> your situation unfortunately <laughs> <Cool>. phil <laughs> Ooh, again, just kind of like right, creepy crawlies, creepy crawlies. You know what used to always get me, and this wasn't, this isn't like when I was out there in Central Texas. If I got bit by anything, nine times out of ten, if it wasn't an ant, it was chiggers. And spraying my my outside of my suit from the knees down and my boots that prevented that. I no longer had chigger issues or anything else. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that got me usually, if I felt something crawling on me, it was usually a hive beetle inside the suit and it would be it would be going like up my neck or something and that's always one of those like you don't know what to do usually I grab and pull it away and then try to pull my head out and look because I (laughs) yeah because if it's a bee and it's in there I don't want it to sting me so I'm trying to like separate myself but yeah it was usually hive beetles would be the ones that would freak me out they'd get in somehow and (laughs) they'd crawl up me (laughs)
0: So I haven't had that one, but I'll tell you, this is why I wear my gloves because especially in Texas, where you have a whole bunch of insects and things that can um, really Scorpions and
1: spiders.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I don't like reaching under the bars and just getting stung by a scorpion or I've seen a lot of black widows and I've seen um, venomous caterpillars. I've seen um, um, just all kinds of spiders and things that sting. And I'm like, I'm not putting my fingers under there without getting protected because you know, I, I, I don't want to get stung by the bees, but more than anything, I don't want to get stung by the other stuff.
1: You also don't want to get stung by something you don't even
0: see. (laughs) Or that's much more dangerous. Right.
1: Yeah, wearing the gloves is definitely a good good cautionary thing there to help protect you. Um, And as we've discussed in the past on the show, I prefer the nitrile gloves. It still gives you your dexterity and your ease of movement, but at the same time, you're protected. The bees don't recognize that as skin. it doesn't have a scent to it, so they won't right. try to sting you, but it'll also protect you from some of the other nasty little critters that you don't want to sting you either.
0: Right. <laughs> so I was using for a while the 14 millimeters uh, oh. <laughs> gloves but then I figured you know what the, they're still not as long lasting as the I'm using some um using triple the rubber... layered dishwashing gloves
1: yeah. I was gonna say fresh. the rubber it's dish not, gloves. Um,
0: fresh comfort from some famous dishwashing glove uh, brand and I love these because just like the nitrile you can wash them you can reuse them they last a long time they really protect you when you get stung you can pull out the stinger or they even save the bee that hasn't pulled out her stinger out of her abdomen and then it doesn't smell like the the alarm pheromone that's marking you right so I really like those yeah
1: I've, I've done that. I have some of the permanent ones that I use for when I do crush and strain a lot of times for the honey, but Mm I don't, when I do my actual bee work, I'll use between five, five, seven and nine on the, the thickness of them, uh, milliliters or whatever they measure it in. But I usually put on two and it's not because I need the extra thickness for stinging. It's because inevitably they're going to get nasty or sticky or one of them's going to tear and I can yeah. peel the outer layer off and still have a glove on my hand right. and continue working right along.
0: So here's a little tip about uh, sticky gloves. When you're wearing that kind of nitrile or dishwashing gloves, get a shoebox, a plastic shoebox and a gallon of uh, water with you to the field. And it's especially valuable when you're working with natural foundationless Comb and you're in a nectar flow and something breaks off and you've got honey all over your fingers and all of a sudden all the bees are sticking to your gloves right
1: everything is sticking to and your gloves it's a mess.
0: so <laughs> i just have that little bit of water maybe like you know um half of the the thing and i just wash my gloves shake them off i'm good to go you can't do that with the leather gloves
1: no right? no the leather gloves they get wet then they get even more sticky and floppy and they they and get oversized st- And you're still going to get stung worse because now it's in direct contact with your skin because it's stuck to you. Mm -hmm. Um, But the leather gloves are really, even though that's what's the most promoted thing out there for the beekeeper, they're not the best because leather is skin. And when the bees are mad, they go for flesh and therefore they're going to sting your glove like crazy. And those stingers will eventually work their way down to where they make contact with you. Um, we used to call those after stings, where the stinger's still on the outside of the glove, and you could scrape it off, but it burrowed far enough, it still made contact uh, yeah, with you.
0: Exactly. <laughs> well, and then I, I've never seen wearing nitrile or dishwashing gloves, the hundreds of stings that you people show you on their leather gloves, because you know what? That one sting, you remove it, there's no marking. You're not... A target anymore whereas they've got those leather gloves and they're filled all of a sudden once things you it's like blood in the water for sharks yeah they just all go after your gloves
1: your gloves right. are suddenly fuzzy and when you look the little fuzzies are doing yeah, this
0: got, yeah. <laughs> <They're twitching. laughs>
1: I, what they used to do on me is i in that chest pocket of the suit
0: uh-huh. I
1: put my cell phone in there and oh. The top rib that's sticking out, sometimes when they get pissed off, they'll sting the rubber on the phone because it's black, right, the
0: black r- got rib. a black
1: area there. And I would look down and you'd see him sticking up out of the phone, twitching. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, it's creepy. <laughs> that's
0: gross. <laughs> yeah,
1: that, was, that was usually during bee removals because the phone was right there so that you could pull yeah. it out. Take photos or video of what you're doing. Stick it back in there, and of course, then your phone gets all sticky and nasty too because you've touched some sticky, nasty gloves.
0: Yeah, and I've got uh, propolis and wax and honey on my phone, and sometimes I have to clean it because it just won't even charge anymore. Right? (laughs) It's just been my pocket with wax and all kinds of gunk. (laughs) But I would say if you're gonna get the nitrile gloves don't get the, I mean, I would recommend not the black ones just because we know that they, they target that a little bit better, but I've seen people wear gardening gloves when they don't really know any better. And even worse, they have like a black, uh, fabric in the back of it. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, these gloves come off really fast because it doesn't <laughs> take very long for them to realize it doesn't protect them. That's a and bad idea. Yeah. yeah.
1: I had a guy try to do a removal using welding gloves, which are kind of like a wool. And Ooh. yeah, they they were all over that. Yeah. And, wool is uh, one of
0: their favorite targets.
1: Yeah, they did the hair, skin, you name it So that wasn't a good idea either But um, on the darker gloves There is one caveat to that There is a couple of brands out there Where the inside of the glove Is not the same color as the outside of the glove So it may be a black outer glove But the interior may be white Or maybe red or orange And you simply just flip the glove inside out And then the black
0: help, but I, yeah, Well, the- that was a
1: miss I misspoke on that It was orange It was like uh <laughs> Like caution, <laughs> caution cone orange was the other color. They right. sell those that specific, the black and orange ones. They sell in Home Depot, but um, yeah. So you just you just flip it inside out and put the black on the inside where you put your hand in, and then right. you've got that lighter color on the outside, and it's That's it's usually no issue. Yeah. 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 So so there you go. Um, I told you no common thread other than bees. <laughs> we We, we
0: talked talked about a lot of things, but yeah, it's just beekeeping. Just That's beekeeping. what we do. That's right. It's just beekeeping and all the
1: crazy, crazy, weird little critters we come into contact with as we go through and, uh, you know, try to do our beekeeping.
0: Right. So, so
1: yeah. I told you, um, gosh, this has been a little while back, but I told you about finding the 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 plethora of pseudoscorpions, remember?
0: <gasps> yeah, I wanted some.
1: Yeah, you were like, how can you ship them to me?
0: Mm, <laughs> so I would love some of those.
1: But... The. Strange combination of how that ended up working. And it was, it was weird. So, that was a chicken coop story. And the chicken coop on the floor of the coop, there is a wire mesh so that things can fall out of the coop and go down underneath it. And then I clean out the inside and clean out underneath it every so often. Well, when I was doing one of the building projects for the expansion of the coop, I moved some dirt and I found wild quote unquote, because they weren't bought at the store millworms. And I was like, Oh, I know how to propagate these and how to like make more and stuff. So I started collecting the wild millworms that I was finding and putting them into a container. And then I scooped up kind of a handful of the dirt and put in there and, and some of the like mulch and stuff that was just around there with them. And I set the container off to the side later, like a day or two later, when I came back to check on that container and everything had a chance to kind of settle out, what I didn't realize is that as I was scooping up all of this stuff to put in there so they had like a substrate,
0: mm-hmm. in
1: that were mites, which mites like chickens, and you want yeah. to keep them off of your birds. So underneath the coop, where they get cleaned out and where they have diatomaceous earth put down there, that's preferable. Um, but there was little mites down there that are feeding on the chicken droppings and stuff. And then there there's tons of pseudoscorpions that are feeding on the mites. Wow. So... That's how I ended up coming across them. So now I know where they're at. Um, although I have like profusely bombed that area with uh diatomaceous earth. Cause I don't want the mites getting up into the coop. <laughs> so, oh yeah,
0: but yeah, but that's where the pseudoscorpions taking care of them. Well, they, I,
1: it was a gross amount on both sides <laughs> of the story. So I don't honestly know. I know that the, the pseudoscorpions were there because they were feeding on the mites, but right. I don't know which was going to outpace the other, you know, it could have been a, prolific food source
0: <laughs> right so you're saying you don't have any more pseudo scorpions is what you're saying
1: i probably do but not directly underneath it they're probably right, off right. over to the sides where i'm not putting the powder down
0: if you find some i will <laughs> put them in a container a <laughs> shipping label <laughs> you can put some dirt or some things in there with a little bit of water and then just kind of ship them, yeah, over, out ship there. them over
1: that way by the time they get there they won't be baked hopefully right yeah, no, it's uh that was kind of an interesting thing because I had not really come across tiny pseudoscorpions like that in nature in abundance before. And so when I saw things moving and I was looking, I was like, that little thing has pinchers. And then I started looking closer and I was That's like, oh my God, cool. it's a pseudoscorpion. And I was like, oh my God, they're everywhere.
0: <laughs> That's so cool though. I, mean, yeah. I would have loved to see that.
1: Yeah. it's pretty neat. And so the, the, why are we talking about pseudoscorpions you ask. um, says the listener who can't respond on the on the show what is this about pseudoscorpions are have been theorized that because they do like types of mites that they may actually feed on varroa mites and they could be beneficial to have in or around your beehive to help as a natural combatant towards varroa mites so that's why pseudoscorpions are valuable and that's also why natalie says ship them to me
0: <laughs> right exactly and by the way they're not scorpions they're actually arachnids i think
1: well uh, a, a scorpion is still an arachnid even though it technically has 10 legs okay, and they're two not pincers
0: scorpion scorpions they're false scorpions.
1: they're a pseudo yeah they're called a pseudo scorpion because they don't actually have the stinging tail and they cannot harm you as a human but okay. they they have the segmented looking little body and they've got the little pincers out front so uh-huh. they look like a miniature scorpion without a tail, like a tailless scorpion kind of thing. There you go. Yeah. So they're they're kind of a cool little critter for sure. And if they do truly help combat varroa mite, then more power to them. I will take some of that dirt and I'll spread it out around the bottom of the beehives.
0: That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, and speaking of which, to limit your small hive beetles... It's not really the afternoon sun or full sun or anything. the The thing is that they breed in the ground, right? So mm-hmm. if you maintain a humid, moist, rich um, humus like environment, that's when they're going to get reproductive, and you're going to have an infestation. So it's not so much about the sun as it is about your soil.
1: Yeah, that's true. The and the downside with the hive beetle too those the adults have wings and they can fly. That's and right. they are attracted to the smell of beehives and even if you've got some in there again that doesn't mean anything they're no. kind of a natural phenomenon but if a colony is in decline and collapsing it gives off a pheromone that actually attracts more hive beetles oh, to that. it so yeah. so that's a whole different thing too but wet moist damp environments
0: mm-hmm.
1: are natural breeding grounds and and living areas for hive beetles so Putting your hive at the bottom of a swamp is not a great idea. Putting it up on top of a hill where it stays drier is better. But the other caveat to some of that, though, is, is a lot of times in the books, you read all the stuff about putting your hive in full sun. Yeah. You don't want to put a top bar in full sun because well, it's going to make should, it really hot.
0: Any. Yeah. No. No. I find that all my hives that are in shade actually do better. Yeah. As long as the soil is, is dry and not a breeding ground for small high beetles, they do better in the shade, especially in Texas where it gets so hot. Yeah. Um, they don't really do as well when it's full sun. It's very taxing energy-wise for them to maintain that temperature uh, when it's super hot outside.
1: My favorite question, anytime somebody asks me or brings that up, my favorite counterpoint is, okay, so let's take away the man-made manipulative beekeeping aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Where would you normally find these bees the majority of the time in nature? In the hollow of a tree.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the tree has a massive canopy, which mm-hmm. shades it all the way around. So no matter what, they're in the shade. Mm-hmm. You know, that like that's where they're naturally at, is in the shade. Now, right. when you start putting in man-made structures and all this other stuff, you get a little bit of variance in there. But in nature, left to their own devices, in a hollow tree cavity or in a cave, Mm -hmm. that's where they're at and both of those are going to be shaded dark places
0: (laughs) right yay bees yeah you have to follow the bees
1: that's right when all else fails, stop and ask yourself what would the bees do if i were not here to intervene and kind of follow that track to help them do that more successfully
0: that's right
1: well, there you go, everybody. There is your uh, non-common themed topic episode. A
0: little bit of everything. Throw in the <laughs> little bit. This
1: is this is everything but pepper. the kitchen sink kind of episode. That's right. Right? Just <laughs> threw it all in there. <laughs> so, it's okay,
0: once in a while, right? And we had a listener question, so that was that's good. true. That was kind of what
1: what prompted the main thing is when I went through. I actually just read that this morning. So I told him that uh, I I gave him a response and then told him that I would bring it up to you when we were we're. <laughs> when we're we talking. were recording today, slow down and say one word at a time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're yeah, that's
1: good. Yeah, yeah. So we shall see. Uh, I will let you know how the the hives continue to grow. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the weather because now we are on these hot streaks. There is a chance potentially on Thursday that we may get another rain shower. So. There's still flowers blooming everywhere. They, they, that could keep a nectar flow going, which I'll be interested to see, but yeah, it's, uh, it's getting, it's getting there. And if I have to, uh, you know, feed them, if they start actually getting to where they have open empty cells and not liquid in them, if I have to feed them again, I will definitely do that on the top bar. The Langstroth at this point, it's, it's done. It built out everything it needs. The Mm -hmm. top bar, man, I, I want them to build as much comb as possible because I would really love to get rid of the nuke box before winter and just have the top bar itself
0: yeah like i said it hasn't been an issue for us to overwinter it is texas it
1: is texas it's a little bit different climate it did get colder up here and we had five snowstorms which each of them were a minimum of six to seven inches of snow (laughs) right whereas texas doesn't hardly ever get snow oh
0: yeah we don't and when we do we do it really well
1: right the epic winter from february a couple years ago yeah snowmageddon Mm -hmm. oh the joys yay nature she's trying to wipe us all out
0: (laughs) yeah we're doing a pretty good job ourselves
1: (laughs) she's just she's just pushing it along
0: (laughs) she's like you guys are asking for it there you go
1: (laughs) that's right she plays the long game too so you know (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> hey, she'll be there long after we're gone. So that's true.
1: <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in for another beekeeper chat episode with Natalie and myself. We definitely appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again next week. But until then, as always,
0: be good. And be mindful. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, You truly are the Bee's Knees.